Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. We're going to be reading verses 14 through to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Pastor Mike will be preaching from the first few verses of this in just a few moments. And we'll remain standing together out of honor for the Lord and His perfect word. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And in just a moment, uh, we're going to pray together. Uh, as we do, just want to mention that this morning, we actually have the privilege of having one of our supported missionaries visiting. She's not in the service right now, but Debbie Smith is here. Debbie and her husband, Eric, have been serving uh, for many years in Colorado, working with a ministry that develops church leaders and is involved with church planting. So Debbie's actually over in the Life Builders uh, class this morning, and then during third service, she'll be in the Anchored classroom. And uh, if you have a chance to see her, even just on the plaza this morning, uh, would encourage you to connect with her. But as we pray, we'll pray for Debbie. Then also the um, the Cambodia team. After the first service, someone showed me a little picture of their plane, you know, flying on like the, you know, the map tracker. They're over the Pacific, I think, right now. They haven't landed yet. So we'll pray for them as well. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that um, you allow us to gather each week. Um, we have a chance to be brought again under uh, the influence of your word and your spirit. Thank you that your word is truth, and it tells us about things that are true and eternal and real, and Lord, we're surrounded by many lies, and so we thank you for the chance to come and to hear about you, about your kingdom, about Christ, about what it uh, is to live and to know you, and, and we pray that this morning you would have uh, your way in our hearts by your spirit. Uh, specifically, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us this morning like this passage uh, talks about and as Paul prays for it that you would strengthen us and enable us to see more clearly uh, how great Christ's love is how high and deep and and wide and broad it is um, Father we ask that you would work as your word is preached to open our eyes to see how incredible it is what you've accomplished for us in your son and and that all life uh, flows out of knowing Christ Lord, we, um, we know that this is a love that surpasses knowledge. And so we, just, we pray that you would move us further into an understanding of your love for us in Christ. And Lord, we pray that in that we would be filled with all the fullness of who you are. Uh, Lord, we long as a particular local church to be a place where your glory dwells, that among your people uh, we would be uh, characterized by your own love and character so that the world, even of lost people, would see something unique in us, recognize us as an outpost of a kingdom that's different from any in this world. And Father, we pray that you would continue to develop us into that. Lord, we also, uh, we thank you so much for, for Eric and Debbie Smith. We know um, that it's you who've sustained them through many years already of faithful ministry, and we just want to lift them up. As Debbie's here this morning, we pray that 
her time visiting would be encouraging and refreshing for her, uh, help us to be a, a good encouragement uh, while she's here, and that she would return that, uh, feeling eager uh, along with Eric to, to re-engage in the work that you've called them to. Lord, we pray that you would um, use what they're doing in Colorado and the leadership development and the training that's happening there to raise up um, young people who, who love you, who know you, who walk closely with you, who are well-equipped uh, for the ministry that you have for them. We pray that you would accomplish eternal good through what they're doing and that you would encourage them as well and draw them towards yourself. Uh, we also pray for the Cambodia team. Thank you that you have uh, put that team together and we pray for uh, safety in the final kind of legs of the journey here uh, coming up. We pray that you would help them to be a blessing to the believers that they interact with as well as the unbelievers while they're there. Would they be an encouragement? Would they be able to serve with joy and with uh, whole hearts? Lord, we, uh, we just ask that you would bless them and, and give your favor to all the work that they're engaged with there and that you would help them to be safe and come home safely as well. And Father, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for this morning to be together as your people. And we pray uh, that it would all, everything that we do, that it would uh, return to you in praise and glory and worship. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'd stand with us once more as we continue singing, I'll read here from Psalm 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so we sing uh, this blessed assurance we find. We sing of this satisfaction that can be found nowhere else.
seeking in life um, can be found in you. And Lord, even when we're seeking the wrong things, Lord, you came to us. You came to earth. Lord, you planned our salvation and you bought our salvation and you guaranteed it. And we thank you so much that we have a God we can depend on, a God who saves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 2013 movie Gravity, astronauts Dr. Ryan Stone and Matt Kowalski were on a routine mission in space, and all of a sudden, debris from a Russian missile just disrupts everything. The rest of the movie is them trying not to die and hoping to get back to Earth, and Ryan, medical engineer and mission specialist, and she's on her first trip to space, and finds herself desperate and completely stranded and alone. And she gives up all hope, and she prepares to die. She finds this radio frequency uh, from another country, and uh, they can't understand each other, but it's our only human link. And so she says, I, I know we're all going to die. Everyone knows that. But I'm going to die today. And I'm really scared. And no one's going to mourn for me. And no one's going to pray for me. She even says, will you pray for me? And then she says this, I'd pray for myself, but I've never prayed. Nobody ever taught me how. Today, part one of the prayer that reaches God. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. We're going to look at two verses today, verses 14 and 15. Bowing before our sovereign God and about why we pray and how we pray. We're in Ephesians. And so far in Ephesians, we've seen God's glorious grace uh, through the first two and a half chapters, just on magnificent display, as his unfolding salvation plan. And just as Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel had foretold how, how God would precisely time his saving intervention in human history, Paul now is proclaiming this mystery of God's saving plan has been fully revealed in Christ. 
Christ, the center of the plan, the apex, the basis, the means, the goal of all that God set in motion back in the garden. And it's good news for all people, Jew and Gentile alike, that believers are brought from death to life, and they share in the inheritance, and by grace they are set free, and Jesus is our peace with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And this was good news. Hopefully it's good news for you, and it was good news for the Ephesians. Many people in Ephesus were just living their whole life superstitious, living their whole life in fear of spiritual powers. But those who believed were rescued from this fear by Christ. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And Paul had begun to pray. He began to pray in, in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, for this reason. But then it's like he kind of swerves over into another lane just for a moment, kind of a parallel road, and says, no, let's talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ even more. Let's go into more detail on the wonders of God's saving plan and these unsearchable riches. How God shows forth the church even to all angels, and they see his redemptive plan. They see his glory in the church. They see his victory. And that believers don't fear evil. God is greater. But the suffering, when you think about all the suffering we go through in life, suffering accomplishes God's purposes. Just as Joseph said in Genesis 50, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that Paul is telling them, in spite of my pain, in spite of my pain in prison, in spite of my suffering, you can have confidence unshakable. God is going to bring good and and because of these unsearchable riches of Christ and because of the forgiveness and love and joy that you find in Christ. And with that, he returns to prayer in, in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And some of you would say, oh, this is, you know, this is Paul's second prayer in Ephesians. Actually, it's his fourth. It's his fourth. He had prayed for them, asking for grace and peace in chapter 1, verse 2. He had praised the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for salvation in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Then he had prayed for them to know their eternal hope and the riches of their inheritance and God's power in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which most people count as the first prayer they find. He's praying for divine illumination and that they would understand the word of God. They would understand the salvation that they were given as a gift. And by the way, in that prayer, in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, what he is doing is he is asking God to reveal his vast power to believers. But he kicks it up a couple notches in this prayer in chapter 3, in verses 14 to 21. Oh, he takes it further. And what he says is, don't just reveal it, God, give them this power. He asks God to give them his power, that God would reveal the magnitude of Christ's love and that they would show that love have that as their foundation. And then the prayer ends with a burst of praise to God. Basically, the first three chapters of Ephesians is, is, is concluded with a doxology. The first half of the letter concluded. that just tees up chapters 4, 5, and 6 and prepares for what follows, how God's powerful love is on display, and that's what they need uh, to live in Christ's strength and, and do what chapters 4 to 6 say to do. They're to get rid of unhealthy, sinful practices in their life. That they are to exercise the unselfish and and self-giving love that Christ showed. And what this prayer is is for, that God would, would give them the strength they need to live the life Christ gives. 
And what this is is a form of intercessory prayer. But what's happening is he's, he's praying and he speaks to them at the same time as he's interceding for them to know Christ's strength and to know Christ's love, which surpasses knowledge. To show Christ's love as they share the knowledge of Christ. That's what this prayer is about. But before we dive into the meat of the prayer, we need to see how it begins. And I want to look at the things that most people just run past and get to the other parts of the prayer. I know you want to get to the other verses. We're going to look at verses 14 and 15 today. We're going to dwell in those verses and see why and how we pray. Paul's going to show us why he prays and how he prays. The idea is this. In these, just in these first two verses in this prayer, the idea is God is our sovereign, saving Father. And so we humbly bow before him. He's our sovereign, saving Father, so we humbly bow before God. The first idea here, the first point really, and this is a very simple outline for a sermon. Why we pray, how we pray. First, why we pray. Because God is our sovereign, saving Father. That's why believers pray. Look at verse 14. Put your eyes there. You see the words, for this reason? He had put those in verse 1 as well when he was about to pray, and then he goes and launches off into another description of the, the unsearchable riches of Christ. But it's for this reason, because of God's glorious grace in chapters 1 and 2, that, that because God takes believers from death to life, because he is making them into his spiritual temple where he dwells, because he gives confident access in prayer, because he wants them to know the unsearchable riches they have in Christ, explained even in verse 8, and that Jew and Gentile are now in one body, the church, and he wants them to glorify God for this reason. In Ephesians 3, 11 to 13, it says, according to the eternal purposes of God, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access with confidence through our faith in him. So he says this to him. Because of that, don't lose heart because of what I'm suffering. Don't lose heart. You might feel like a loser. I mean, some of you might feel like a loser all the time. You feel like you're going to only suffer in life. You get your whole list of all the things that you've lost and all the things that you're suffering. And he's telling believers, you might feel like a loser, but, and you might feel like you will only ever suffer. But you need to know the bright future that God has in store for you. You need to know what God is preparing for you, dear believer. That glory awaits, as Romans 8 tells us. As 2 Corinthians chapters 3, 4, and 5 tell us. That the believer will be sanctified. And that momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And we're looking not at what is seen, because that's all temporary, but we're looking at the unseen eternal things. And for that reason, he prays on behalf of these Christians. And, and by the way, Christians are the only people that this applies to. If you're not a believer today, this doesn't apply to you. It can if you come to faith in Christ. But this is not for you. This is for Christians. He wants Christians to know what's in their spiritual bank account. You know, do you know what's in your bank account today or what's not in their bank account, right? Too bad they give you those texts that tell you when you're at zero, right? And he wants them to know what is in their spiritual bank account. They can draw upon the spiritual riches of Christ. It will never run low. You need to know that today if you're a believer, that you have the, the, the riches of Christ, and those riches will never run low. They will never go out. So before he prays, what he does is this. He gives 
homage to God. He praises God. He shows great respect for God, great trust in God's power, and he addresses the Father. He addresses the Father. Before he requests power and love and increasing awareness of God's power and love, and before he asks God to act, he praises God, and he addresses God. And, and as we, we, we see it in, in chapter 2, verse 18, what is prayer? Prayer is a conversation with the Father through the Son by the Spirit of God. And what he's telling them is nothing can keep God from strengthening you through the indwelling Spirit of God and your relationship with the risen Christ. God who brought nations together in the new creation, in the temple he is building, in the bride he is preparing. For this reason, he says in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father. He's following Jesus' words in the Lord's Prayer. Paul prays to the Father. Father is a term that Paul uses eight times in Ephesians. And it communicates this closeness of God's relationship with the believer. That as Father, God has adopted the believer into the, into the family. If you're a Christian today, you've been adopted into God's family. And if you're a Christian today, he made you his heir, the inheritance. And you're part of his household. And, and it's by his spirit. And you can speak with him freely without fear. It goes to the Father. God is rarely called Father in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, plenty. It's 245 times God is called Father in the New Testament. We address him as Father. We address him as Abba, Father. Romans 8, Galatians 4. It's a term of dependence. It's a term of endearment. It's a, it's a cry of dependence to God. And he says in verse 14, I, I bow my knees before the Father. From whom, verse 15, from whom? From this Father, Every family in heaven and on earth is named. That's an unusual description for God, which characterizes him as the source of life. That we are God's children by virtue of creation. That he is the creator of all, and everything else is his creation. That no one has no other origin. It's not like God said, well, you know, I, I created some and some evolved. Some came out of primordial, you know, primordial ooze. If someone comes up and says, oh, I just evolved, they're wrong, okay? God is creator, and everything else is his creation. We didn't make this up. And naming implies the power and authority to do so as creator. I think about when our kids were born, our five kids. We didn't turn to someone else and say, hey, what should we call these things? You know, and I, I realize sometimes you, you need some help in naming kids, but... You know, we, we didn't turn to someone else and say, please name them for us. I mean, we almost, we seriously, we almost couldn't take Michael home from the hospital because we couldn't figure out what to name him. So we got really creative. It's a parent's privilege to name the child. When our child were born, we didn't say, hey, you name them. We got to do that. And it's unique to say that God is the one who names every family grouping. There's a word play between father and family. The related terms sound similar sounds in Greek, pater, patria. Every family on earth. Well, that's easy to understand, but what about every family in heaven? What about every family in, he in the heavens? What does that refer to? It refers to all the spiritual powers that have already been mentioned. Rulers, authorities, powers, dominion, world rulers. And the naming of every family and every grouping of humans and angels. That's what it's pointing to. 
And it stresses God's sovereignty over everything. He's praying to the one who is sovereign over everything. You don't have to wonder if this prayer is going to be heard, believer. He created the powers in heaven and gave them their identity. He's supreme. He's their creator. He gave them life and strength. It really hints at the Old Testament naming in terms of calling everything into being, into all of creation. The Father from whom all groups are named. He created them. He demonstrates his authority over them by naming them. But especially this one new family God created in Christ from every nation to have unity. As chapter 4, verse 6 says, uh, the God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But in Christ, there's no tribal, clan, or family distinctions, even though people try to make them. And that outside of Christ, there's nothing but division. Inside, there is unity. And he's praying to the one who is the father of believers and the creator of the universe who was able to exercise authority over everything he created. He's not a God who's dead. He's alive and active right now. Right now. Isaiah 40 says, lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and called them each by name. God named them because of his great power, because of his mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Even the early disciples, they extolled God as the sovereign Lord who created heaven and the earth and sea, Acts 4. Able to do more than we could ask or think. You see at the end of this prayer, what we're seeing here and at this very beginning of a prayer is not an explanation to unbelievers. Like, here's what prayer is all about. This is for believers. And it's to remind us believers that we are not the center of the universe because we start thinking we are. That no, most important is the Lord and Savior, the creator and sustainer of all, who holds the stars in the sky and the earth on its axis. This God that all creation finds its center of balance in him. Everything is sustained by him. That he is the sovereign father over every grouping in creation. And he is in control over all in heaven and on earth. This is, this is speaking to the redeemer of believers. The one who has called us sons and daughters and heirs and saints. Calls us the church. We are in Christ. We are raised with Christ. And what is just mining great thoughts of God's greatness. That you, believer, today can count on him to be absolutely sufficient and, and faithful. You don't have to fear. You don't have to cave in or give up. That you can acknowledge God who saved you that you could say, wow, he, he reached down to rescue me who was in the slave market of sin, that I was running headlong to hell, that I was lost in sin, and now my hope is in Christ because he reached down to rescue me. And I have been given bold access to him who loves me. And Jesus said in John 16, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Believe me, if you feel like you're slipping away today, your hope is in Christ. Do not lose heart. 
like, just say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for saving me. I know that there's a lot of other things on your mind today, but have you thought recently, thank you, Lord, for saving me, unless he didn't? That Have you said recently to God, without you, I am nothing. I know you can do all things. You are sovereign. I am sinful. You sent the substitute, Jesus Christ, in my place, and he shed his blood in my place, and I know you can do all things, and so I surrender to you. You're sovereign, I'm sinful. You sent the substitute, I surrender. That's why we pray. Because God is our sovereign, saving Father, and only the Christian can pray. How do we do it? How do we pray? We pray by humbly bowing before him. Humbly bowing before him. We acknowledge God is sovereign over all and we serve him, so we bow before him. Verse 14, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. It's a rare time that Paul says, here's how I pray. He doesn't usually say, hey, by the way, I'm praying for you and I'm standing right now. You know, he doesn't do this, okay? He tells them he's regularly praying for them, but rarely does he say how he's doing it. But here he says, I bow my knees before the Father. Bowing his knees in a posture of humility. Likely he commonly knelt as he prayed for others. And he bows before God, praying in his heart and evidently with his knees bent. Some of us are like, I wish I could. You know, my left knee bends, you know, halfway and my right knee bends all the way. You know, some of you maybe had a knee injury or something like that. But he bows before God, praying in his heart and evidently with knees actually bent. And he wasn't praying for himself. So many of our prayers are for ourselves. He was praying for them. And he says, I bow my knees before the Father. And when he says that, he is using a verb that's only used four times in the New Testament, including here. Also, it's used in Romans 11, verse 4. We're quoting 1 Kings 19, verse 18, where God tells Elijah, there are, I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Like, they're bowing to me in worship. And in Romans 14, verse 11, Paul quotes... Isaiah 45, verse 23. God declares he alone is God and that every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to him. And then in Philippians 2.10, also quoting Isaiah 45, 23, that God has highly exalted Christ and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What these passages are pointing to is that bending the knee conveys worship and submission to God Almighty. That kneeling, you know, to request something from a superior, that this is an appropriate posture before God. In Isaiah 45, God says this, I am God, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. And just in case they missed it, in the very next verse, he repeats himself, I am the Lord and there is no other. Just in case you missed it. Bow to the conquering king. Jesus conquered all. And bowing and kneeling has long been thought of associated with worship and reverence. And the psalmist says in Psalm 138, verse 2, I bow down toward your holy temple, O Lord, and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, because you have exalted above all things your name and your word. The Hebrew word for worship even means to bow down. 
In Psalm 95, 6, come. Here's the, the invitation. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Kneeling in submission and respect for God. First instance in the Bible of kneeling is in Genesis 18. Three heavenly visitors come to Abraham and they're representing God and he bows to the ground. A few generations later, Pharaoh has, is the king of Egypt and he orders Egyptians to bow down to Joseph. The respect for the former slave that had now been put in second in command. You got early on in human history, bowing and kneeling became to represent uh, taking a humble position before someone of greater importance. When kneeling down was a symbol of the, the deepest respect for the person being addressed. And even, even the idea of bowing before rulers or, or leaders or even false gods became uh, common by the time that, that God gave the law. And so you see in Exodus 20, the second command, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything, and you shall not bow down to them or worship them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Solomon, he prayed at the dedication of the temple. He knelt down on a platform before the people, lifted his hands in prayer to God. Elijah knelt down. Daniel got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously, even though at this moment in time it was illegal. People came to Jesus kneeling. Pre-cross, Jesus knelt in Gethsemane. Stephen prayed on his knees. Peter prayed on his knees. Paul prayed with the Ephesian elders, Acts 20, on his knees on the beach. Early Christians prayed on their knees, Acts 21. So the question is, should you always pray on your knees? Some, some people are like, I've never done that, you know? Must you always get on your knees to pray? Well, it's kind of an obvious answer, but bowing and kneeling are not the only prayer postures the Bible gives. Jews would usually stand to pray. Their custom was to stand and raise their hands, often to open their eyes. Now, my family calls me on this all the time. They're like, you got your eyes open. I'm like, so do you, I guess, you know? How do you know? I'm like, Jesus did it, you know? But the ordinary posture was standing, like the pious Jews would, would even today at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. People would fall on their faces before God, their forehead literally to the ground while kneeling. Moses and Abraham, they... Aaron, excuse me, Moses and Aaron, they, they fell straight down, face down before the Lord as his glory overshadowed them. Ezekiel fell face down in grief, and he cries out to God, and then God answers him. The Levites, every morning, they, they would stand to thank and praise God, and they would do it every evening. King David went in and sat before the Lord. Exodus 17, um, Moses, he's lifting the rod up. That, his task to do that was, in essence, intercessory prayer before God. Jesus, he raises his eyes to heaven as he prayed while standing. Even He lifted his eyes toward heaven in his longest recorded prayer, John 17. When the, Jesus, when the disciples asked Jesus, hey, teach us to pray, Jesus didn't say, by the way, always kneel or always stand or you can open your eyes if you want, you know. Uh, Paul told men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or dispute. What, what do we do? Our custom to prayer is fold our hands, close our eyes, and bow our heads, right? That's kind of what we do, right? Um, how many times have you been at a Christian camp, and they're like, now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, because what we're doing next is secret. <laughs> Again, I, I don't like getting called out for having my eyes open in prayer because, you know, I bet Jesus did it. And uh, 
the idea of like with every head bowed and every eye closed is like, what are we, fear? Are we afraid of what people might see? Because they're going to say, now raise your hand if you want to be a, a Christian. You know everyone's going to find out, right? If you really become a believer, you know everyone's going to find out. So must you get on your knees to pray? Well, bottom line is, it's good, but not necessary. It's good, but not necessary to bow your knees in prayer. But God doesn't require you to do so. But here's the thing. If you never get on your knees to pray, something's probably wrong. Kneeling to pray to God indicated this extraordinary event or unusual circumstance usually. It showed a surrender. It showed a submission. It showed honor, reverence, if those things are in the heart. Think about this. Here's Paul, and he's preaching the unfathomable riches of Christ. No little thing. He's preaching the unfathomable riches of Christ found in the word of God. Well, it's good to see a man fall on his knees because of God's word. He's not shouting empty phrases. He's bowing his knees to God, God all-powerful over all creation, including all rebellious powers, and, and that no force in heaven or on earth can sever this power or the communication a believer has with Almighty God. So this prayer is going through. This prayer is going through. It, it reaches God. You know, we are spiritual beings in temporary bodily form, and we bow our knees before him. We kneel to pray. It's a sign of serving him and dependence. And, and, but what we, if we're honest, we would say, rarely do we bow our knees in our hearts or our homes. The heart posture will force a physical posture. You ever had an unbeliever ask you, hey, pray for me? You know, say, say a good word for me with the big man upstairs, you know, things like that. I've had it happen many times. Isn't it interesting that an unbeliever knows to ask a believer to pray for them because they realize they don't have access to God. But believers have bold access to God. And, and you know you're loved by God, and, and, and that should put you on your face. We just kind of go, oh, not enough. Not enough for me. You know, your entire being should be engaged in worshiping God. We think if we come and sing some songs, we're worshiping. Like, I got to get ready for worship. What were you doing before? Was it all idolatry? Your entire being should be engaged in worship of God, and the posture of your heart is most important. More important than the posture of your body. But if you, if you never kneel, something's probably wrong. And I don't want you to think that God is judging all your, you know, oh, you didn't get on your knees. I, look, God isn't judging your prayers for eloquence or how many words you say or how good it sounds or what kind of pretzel you can twist, twist yourself into as you're praying, okay? But he wants you to humbly pour out your heart to him. That's what he wants you to do. Humbly Pour out your heart to God in awe and humility. And if you haven't done that for quite some time, maybe today's the day to start. Maybe you have my problem. Your mind wanders when you're trying to pray. But kneeling can help you focus. Because otherwise it's so easy to focus on ourselves, is it not? I mean, what drives you to your knees? Is it the great extremes of life? Is it your hard times? Is it success? 
We've all seen a football player kneeling after a TV thanking God. Some people like to judge that. But what would they, what would they do if they, the opposite of that is, look how great I am, and showing off even more. Some people will know that's showing off. Well, maybe a believer might be kneeling to remind themselves that as people are worshiping him, he actually belongs to God, and he shouldn't receive that worship. You know, by the way, I'm always uncomfortable with an ovation. I do not like ovations. I was at, I was at the theater the other day with my wife, and, and all these ovations, and, and we see it in athletics, in theater, in music, and it's ridiculous. Because we spend more time giving an ovation to a man or a woman who did something that God gave them the ability to do than we give in prayer to God. There's something sick about that. Ridiculous praise and ovations to man when we stay prayerless in our own hearts and hardly ever bend the knee. When you bow in your heart, when you bow your knee, as a Christian, you know what you're doing? You're seeking the mercy of God. You're saying, you know what? God is absolutely sovereign over all creation and over my life. There is not one inch of creation that is not his, and everything belongs to him, and I need his forgiveness. And I need, his, I need to be in repentance in my life. And, and seeking mercy just cures selfishness. But instead of seeking mercy, we're seeking things. You know, prayer is not like swinging a bat at a pinata and getting goodies from God. It starts with worship. In your heart, that's where it must start. And his sovereignty fosters you serving him and, and bowing in humble gratitude before him. But when was the last time you bowed before God? Literally bowed before him in humble gratitude. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker, as Paul says, the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And we would kneel before the sovereign father of over all and worship him for his grace and his glory. And we would do so in humble desperation. And that we would, would pray, Lord, you are sovereign. I am sinful. You sent my substitute. I surrender. You come to God knowing apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. And you come to him with humble confidence, not arrogance. And what, what I have found is a spiritually um, low posture often drives me to a physically lower posture because it reminds me of truth and it is easier to ask for mercy in a subservient posture. When you bow in your heart and your, in your knee, you are seeking mercy, but you're also humbly acknowledging the sovereignty of God. You know, it's interesting that some groups have kneeling benches even built in. We don't have any, but to, we don't even have room if you wanted to kneel. Uh, we have kneeling benches to kneel in worship. And I remember as a kid going into some of those places and thinking, why did they build these in? Why couldn't you just, you know, bow on the ground right there? Well, they, they didn't want their knees getting dirty or something like that. I don't know. The reasons for even putting those in are very, but it may be a reverence we know nothing about. It may be a reverence we do not know. And by the way, false religions pray. I mean, the Quran tells Muslims you pray three times a day, 
sunrise to sunset, you must pray five prayers, and you have to bow low or prostrate yourself to Allah facing Mecca. And you know what they're doing? They're talking into air. God isn't listening. Proverbs 15, 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. 1 Peter 3, 12, quoting Psalm 34, says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. John 9, 31 says, We know. That God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. God only hears the prayers of the one clothed in the righteousness of Christ by grace. So who taught you to pray? And what did you learn? And how are the scriptures shaping your prayer life? Kneeling to pray can help you stay focused on God in prayer. It's something you can practice when your soul is weighed down with burdens that you are bearing. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. When you bow in your heart and bow the knee, you are you seeking mercy, you are acknowledging God's sovereignty, but you're also declaring dependence on God. You're like, I depend on you. I mean, think about this. In everything in life, you want to see progress, there must be some hard work put in, right? Everything in life, if you want to see progress, you have to put in the work. If you're an athlete, if you're a scientist, if you do anything you do, you've got to put in the work. And I know, you want to make a difference in the world. You want to see a difference in the world. You want to make an impact. You want to see things change in science and medicine and social issues and politics and uh, the whole map of the world. You want to see something happen. But mostly, if you're a Christian, you want to see people saved from their sins. You want to see people saved by Jesus. Well, prayer is the most important work you can put in in that regard, in everything. In your heart, in your home, in your workplace, everywhere. Every place. That you remind yourself, God is sovereign. I am not. I was not self-made. I am not hopeless. God set his seal upon me. He says, mine. I'm kept forever. But I do have the tendency to lose heart. Remember what Paul said to them. Don't lose heart what I'm suffering. And he dives into the prayer. Don't lose heart. But still, we all know there's the possibility of losing heart. You get downcast, anxious, worried, dejected, discouraged. You're focused on yourself and your problems, and, and focusing on those things just pushes you deeper into yourself. And you know you need to focus on the Lord, but sometimes it's maybe you're hounded by your past sins. Maybe you're feeling always condemned. Uh, maybe you say, I came to know Jesus, but nothing feels different. The, nothing seems to change. Well, it doesn't matter how you feel. If you've been forgiven by Jesus, my friend, you have an objective state of affairs going on. It's not based on your feelings. You can't have your position in Christ changed by your feelings. Objective truth will win the day on that one every time. And if you are worried and if you are anxious, you are sinning. And you're not going to get victory over your sin by diving deeper into your sin. Like, oh, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm going to read a book on being worried and anxious. No, dive into Christ's riches. Rem remember that you are forgiven in Christ and that you have his peace and his joy and his acceptance. I love what the psalmist said, Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. 
Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Believer, that's what you can do today. God is sovereign. He has granted you life and power and love, and you can be reassured. You don't have to fear. Hostile powers that try to disrupt the will and the work of God will not fail. They will not prevail. That you can rest today in the unshakable faithfulness of God and that he can give you unshakable faith. I mean, let Paul teach you to pray. People do not know how to die. People do not know how to pray. And the answer is Jesus. The crucified, risen Savior who defeated death and gives believers access to God by his glorious grace. But why and how you pray is crucial. Why we pray is God is our sovereign saving father he is rich powerful he is the maker and sustainer of all and christians have boldness and confident access through faith in christ and christian your father loves you and he continues to tell you in the word how do we pray we humbly bow before him in our hearts using the knees he gave us and remember this god does not owe you blessings but you can pray with confidence due to your position in Christ. I love Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So bring your prayers confidently. God is merciful. Ask him to grant the church strength and love. Bow your knees before God in your heart and bend real knees with grateful dependence and confidence in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that as we seek your mercy and acknowledge your sovereignty and depend on you for everything, those prayers reach you, and, and you give us strength even to serve Jesus with all our might. That's my prayer for everyone here, everyone hearing this. May you be glorified in and through your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we close the scene. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness. steadfast love my deep and boundless peace through this I hold my hope is only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to his oh how strange and divine I can sing all is mine yet i
announcements before we go. We've been welcoming a lot of new members, and uh, Aiden and Sarah Torres, Avria Miklia, uh, James Feltz, Grace Ulibari, Bo Bauman, Jeremiah Clark, Shane McFarland, I know Bo's right there. Uh, more to come, and uh, make sure you, uh, just make sure you meet everyone, then you'll run into who I've just mentioned. Uh, midweek service this Wednesday night, uh, we'll be speaking, it's about family matters, we'll be speaking about how to bring the word and prayer into your home. Also, some things on marriage and grandparenting and how not to be the weird in-laws. So this will be important for many of us. 
Uh, Mom's Club is this Thursday. Men's Retreat is next weekend. We got like 95 guys going next weekend. And uh, special treat, uh, my son Michael, uh, who's on pastoral staff at Grace Rancho, will be preaching next week here uh, while we're gone. Uh, Cambodia team on a plane right now in the middle of, you know, over the middle of the ocean, headed to Cambodia, be praying for them October 1st to the 19th. Uh, there's a place online where you can sign up to pray for them. Uh, child dedications October 22nd, got three weeks for that. And Debbie Smith, one of our missionaries, is here today. Uh, she was in first hour with us. Also, she was sharing today in Life Builders, second hour, but will be in third hour in the anchored group, third hour and uh, over in one of the portables there. All right, so our benediction today is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.